<laughs> yes, he definitely deserves an applause. <laughs> Hello, Hellcrest. My name is, oh, I guess I can take this off, can't I? I'm used to teaching with it on. Ooh, this is going to be special. <laughs> My name is Laura Stackrock, and I am the next-gen pastor of kids here at Hillcrest. And um, I'm going to need your help. I, you guys are already doing this pretty well, so I think we'll be positive here. I'm used to being interrupted when I teach. <laughs> I'm used to people making noise and, and shouting out the answer, that kind of stuff. So if y'all want to say things like amen or yes or that kind of thing, I would, I would totally invite that. Now, if you want to say no, you can talk to me about that later, okay? It's Mrs. Laura's turn to talk. <laughs> All right. Well, just before I go into anything else, I want to say, um, talking about Dave Moore, one of the things I've appreciated about Dave as he comes to this uh, time of, of retirement is that as he has come, he has shared with us as a staff that he desires to know what is next, what God has for him next. And I just, I love that he is not just saying, I'm done. He's saying, what's next, God? And I think that is great, just great. So, okay, so Psalm 78. I wanted to start today with this passage of scripture because this is a passage of scripture that I actually personally return to over and over again. I mean, I'm a children's pastor. My whole job is telling the next generation about the amazing things that God has done. And, um, but I come back to it over and over again because there's something in verse 7 that just catches my heart every single time. This is what it says. So each generation would set its hope anew on God. We want that for our kids. We want to see them following God, living in hope and victory and the peace that we know and that he's given us. And this is possible. We can see this happen in our next generation. But somewhere along the way, there's going to be some heavy lifting required. Not just heavy lifting from our kids, but heavy lifting by the believers who God has put around them. So today, Hillcrest, I'm going to do a little bit of heavy lifting with you guys. And uh, you, me, and the Holy Spirit, we're going to consider what it means to be a generation that tells the next generation the glorious deeds of the Lord. So let's just pause and we're going to pray right now before we go any farther. God, you are great. This morning we have sang of your fame and your glory and your miracles. And Lord, we want that to be passed on. God, as we think about our next generation today, um, I just pray that as I speak, that you would help us to find the things that we should hold firm to. Help us to find the things that we need to release. Help us to find the things that we need to embrace and the things we need to change. Lord, we welcome you to speak to us today. Amen. You didn't play the video. What is shaping our children? 
In whose image are they being formed? Our culture, pulled apart by polarization and popular opinion, broken. Our kids are growing up in a digital Babylon. No longer do we fear what is out there, but we now grapple with powers and principalities found within the palms of our hands and the pockets of our children. Influence and influencers, access to excess, a loss of binary, basic, and biblical. Will the seeds planted by the faith of our fathers and the faithfulness of our mothers bear fruit? Lasting, good, and holy fruit. Our kids, your kids, kids in all and every community are stuck in the currents of our rapidly changing culture. The undertow seems like it threatens to pull a generation into the storm, the tsunami, the abyss. And in this change, we can often be left looking back to the ways of the past, the methods of the good old days, rather than looking ahead and charting a course into the future. Yet hope is not lost. You, your church, are planted here, now, and for such a time as this. You are entrusted for the mission to make resilient disciples. You've been commissioned to not lower your standards or simply fade into a memory of a bygone era, but you have been called to raise up the greatest generation of disciples. A generation not afraid to stand in the face of public opinions. A generation that will pursue what is holy over what is popular. A generation that will love Jesus for all their lives, even if it costs them everything. In an increasingly secular society growing more and more hostile to the gospel, God has given us, given you, this generation of children, your kids, my kids, our grandkids, to be leaders. Leaders of community, leaders of culture, leaders of churches, leaders formed by the presence of Christ, leaders of tomorrow who need you to lead today. Form our children, form them in Christ's image through the power of the Holy Spirit and in the truth of God's word. You were called for this, to make disciples, child disciples for the fearless future of the church. Yeah, <laughs> I've seen that so many times, and I still get teary-eyed when I watch it. That, that is it, hey? <laughs> that video asks us, it starts off with a very important question. What is shaping our children? I think when we look at our culture and we look at the world around us, um, it's, it's easy to recognize that our culture is shaping our kids. And because this culture is so different than what I grew up in and probably what most of you grew up in, it's easy for us to fall to the temptation of just saying, mm, I think I'm going to stick with what I know and just kind of hang out here and just kind of try and ignore what we don't want to see. But the thing is, is that whether we accept this, whether we look at it or not, it is actually happening. We are being shaped by our children, by our culture, sorry, and even more, our children are being shaped by our culture. A few months ago, I watched Child Discipleship Forum, that's where this video came from, and 
at this forum, there were thought leaders from all over the children's ministry world that came together, and they were here to grapple with this concept of how is culture shaping our children? How is culture shaping our churches, even? And one of the speakers there, his name is Darren Whitehead. He's a pastor from a a church in Nashville, Tennessee. And he had this to say, and I found this extremely challenging. He said, the current, the current culture is discipling Christians more effectively than the church and away from traditional Christian keystones. Let me say that again. The current culture is discipling Christians more effectively than the church away from the things that we hold dear as Christians. And so he said that our culture is discipling us and discipling our children away from faith and into doubt. We are now taught to doubt everything and everyone, and our kids are being challenged to doubt everything that they hear and know about the Bible and about God. We're being discipled from love to insecurity. We all know that social media has had a terrible influence in the lives of so many because it has created a culture of comparison. Our kids are comparing what they do know about their own life to a curated picture of other people's lives. And that creates a life of depression and sadness and insecurity and isolation. We're being discipled from a communal mindset where we're part of a group and now it's all about me, the individual, and what I want and what is best for me and the pursuit of my own happiness. We're being discipled from contribution to consumption. We don't have to see the things that we don't want to see anymore. We have all the preferences that we want in our news, in our ways that we shop, in the way that we are entertained. We don't even have to be inconvenienced by commercials if we don't want to. And this is creating people who are wanting just, just what I want and I'm not interested in anything else. They're not open to anything new. And we're being discipled from rest to exhaustion. Almost everyone that I know is tired. (laughs) There's an exhaustion upon our culture that God did not intend for there to be in his people. But in our culture, busyness is a badge of honor. And people are so consumed with their activities and accomplishments that they are exhausted Grown-ups and kids alike. Doubt, insecurity, individualism, consumption, and exhaustion. Does this sound a little too familiar to anyone? I know this sounds dismal, but as that video also said, there is hope. Hope is not lost. God has amazing plans and purposes for these next generations and for you I'm, I'm going to talk a lot about the next generations. Yes, God has lots for you, but I'm focused on them. <laughs> he has amazing plans and purposes for these next generations. And I believe, Hillcrest, that each one 
of us has a part to play in this plan. So how are we supposed to respond to how this world is discipling our children? Well, Whitehead suggested in his talk that we no longer come to discipling our kids from the same place that we do. We have to have a totally different approach. You see, in the past, we could come into a kid's life and we could expect that there's kind of going to be level ground, that we just get to come in and we get to lay a faith foundation. But now, we have to change where we're coming from. We have to come in and we have to clear the land first. We got to get rid of all the garbage that is there first before we can even begin to lay our foundation. And so he said that we need to do what is called counterformation. So we need to, when we're approaching kids, well, discipleship of anyone, but specifically kids, we need to begin with the assumption that kids are being overexposed to worldly discipleship and underexposed with biblical discipleship. Whew, that's kind of hard to take in, hey? (laughs) Kids are being bombarded constantly by messages everywhere, and that is discipling them. And how much are they actually getting from biblical sources? We need to be aware of this. This is the norm, that they are overexposed to the world's messages. But we are called to disciple them away from that mindset into a world where we're inviting them to move from a place of doubt into faith. We want to invite them to come from insecurity into love. We want to say, come, you don't have to do it all on your own. Come and be part of our community. Have that communal mindset. Pardon me? We want to invite them to, it's not just about what you want and what you need. Come. We have a purpose for you. We have a place where you can do something and you can make a difference. Come and be part of a plan. And then we want to invite them from exhaustion into rest. We all need that. Faith, love, community, contribution, rest. These are the kind of things we want to pass on to our children. And beyond that, I want to pass on to my kids the hope and joy and peace and freedom and victory that I have found in Jesus Christ. Yes, and I want my kids and the next generation to know the wonder and the satisfaction that can be found in a relationship with God. And more than anything, I want them to know the peace and the power and the hope that is in the presence of God who is with them when their world falls apart. This is why it's important for us all to do, like Psalm 78 says, going to lose a page. That's not the page I need, though. (laughs) We're going to do like Psalm 78 says, where it says, we will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generations the glorious deeds of the Lord and his power and his might. We need to make God big for the next generation. 
We need to make God big. We need to tell them our stories. We need to not just tell them the stories from the Bible, but we need to celebrate and share with them the things that he's done in us, in our lives. We need to tell him the ways that we've seen his mighty wonders. We celebrated this morning what God has done in us. Are we including our kids in those kind of celebrations, sharing the wonderful things of how God has walked you through the waters? We need to share our good times and our bad times with them. And again, the reason for that is because we want the next generation to know, even those not yet born, and we want them to know and obey and enjoy the blessings God has for them. And as verse says, 4 says, again, it says, we must not hide these truths from our children. And I think in this crowd, I think pretty much most of you would say, yeah, we definitely don't want to hide these truths. I know. We want to tell them. We want to go for it. And as I thought about this the other day, I realized we want to tell our kids But I think there are some unintentional ways that we are hiding our truths from these, from our kids. And I was surprised actually when I was thinking about it or how many I came up with. And so I'm giving you a warning. This is going to be a little bit pokey. All right. (laughs) So we may be hiding our truths from, hiding these truths from our children. When we think we have to wait until we've got our own spiritual life all sorted out and we know enough about the Bible or that we're faithful enough in our own spiritual practices. Maybe when we have unrealistic expectations about what will happen and we give up when our kids aren't as engaged as we want them to be. Maybe when we think it's someone else's job. Maybe when we believe Our spiritual life is entirely private. It's my business. No one else needs to know about it. When we get so focused on our own spiritual journey and growth that we forget to foster the growth of our own kids. When we undervalue and underestimate what God can and wants to do in the lives of children. When we think, I did my time, I paid my dues, I'm too old. When we regularly prioritize other activities over regular church attendance. When we just let life happen and just never get around to talking about God. That's a little rough, hey? Okay, everyone, I want you all to shake your shoulders and shake your arms. I mean it. No, you guys are terrible. (laughs) Everybody shake your arms because we need to shake that tension off. It's good for you to have tension, but yes, we don't want to hide. See, when God gave his laws and instructions to the people of Israel, and when he commanded those ancestors to teach their children, he was doing this in a communal mindset. He was including the entire nation in those laws, instructions, and commands. And the responsibility of shaping 
the faith of the next generation was the entire community's responsibility. Yes, there were some people who were more involved in the hands-on stuff, but it was the entire community and culture that God wanted to shape in order to shape those children. This is still true today. And though it will look different here than it did in Old Testament times, this is what God calls us to. Now, I recognize parents. Parents have the greatest responsibility and the greatest influence in the spiritual development of their children. Even if you don't feel like you have influence on your kids, you do. Parents are uniquely positioned to disciple their children because you're with them more than anyone else's. You're with them longer, and you're going to be walking beside them longer than anyone else's. And you have the most vested interest in them. You care the most about who they are becoming. In the child dedication class that we taught a couple weeks ago, we took a deep dive into Deuteronomy chapter 6 to discover this is God's plan for family discipleship. It's the natural environment that he has created. As a church, we recognize God's design for family discipleship. Our desire is to equip parents in discipling their kids and to encourage them and support them and provide resources and opportunities to partner with them in all stages of their kids' lives. And we are working on growing in that as well. Right now, I want to say to you parents that are right now in those trenches, the Lord has given you a tremendous responsibility. He also gives you his Holy Spirit, his word, his wisdom, his strength, and his church to empower you. Take advantage of these things. Don't try and figure it out alone. And secondly, don't stress about being a perfect parent. What your kids need to see more than a perfect parent is they need to see an honest disciple working through what it looks like to follow Jesus through the ups and downs of life. You're doing good, parents. Keep on going. We're cheering you on. And I would love to camp out here with the parents for a long time, but... I want to take some time and share with you, church, about our next-gen ministries. And because I am the children's pastor, I'm specifically going to be talking about kids. Um, but I want to share with you guys and give you a peek into what we do there and share a few stories just to help build your faith that it's not all doom and gloom and heaviness, that God is at work in our next generation. And so let's turn our eyes to that. Can you put that quote up? Please don't call it child care. Children's ministry is not child care. It is the most futuristic and strategic ministry in the church. When's the best time to plant a tree? 30 years ago. When's the next best time? Today. There you go. Steve has used that a few times. 
in children's ministry, we are all about planting seeds and trees. Those seeds that we are planting in the lives of our kids will shape the church of the future. Right now, we are shaping the church of 2050. And we take this very seriously in Hillcrest Kids. We are not just here to entertain your kids while you are in church. We want our kids to meet with God. And so we are strategically pursuing that. So now talking about strategy, you guys, over the last couple months, you guys have been working through that Hillcrest Next paper and all the things that we feel are God's strategy specifically for Hillcrest. And at the beginning of that, there is a mission statement. And I want everyone to stand up, and we're all going to say our Hillcrest mission statement together. All right? We, oh, go back, go back. Don't show that yet. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Hillcrest mission statement, the grown-up version of a mission statement, is we strive all reconciled to God, and mature in Christ. Okay, I'll let that pass. You guys can sit down. If I was still in the children's ministry, I would have made them say that again. Because that was a little bit, you know, reserved. All right. But, so we want reconciliation with God and maturity in Christ. And those are big words for kids and big concept for kids. And so we have our own version of a mission statement that is very similar to this. It has the same goals. So our mission statement is Hillcrest, in Hillcrest Kids is that we want to see, now you can show the slide, hearts being changed by Jesus Christ. Kids can get this idea that I need, my heart needs to change. They, they have all those feels in them, and they need to know that they can bring all these feels to God and let him do something with them. And so we have three targets that we are aiming at in everything we do. We're aiming at the kids because we want to see them grow in knowing, loving, and serving God. And we're aiming at families We want to see them strengthened and growing together. And we're aiming at our volunteers Volunteering is a place, is a way that you can grow in your relationship with God. And I tell my volunteers all the time that if you're not getting something when you're here, then you need to check your heart and say, God, you need to be teaching me. Because you can learn so much from a kid's Bible story, a kid's lesson. There's so much. And actually, my volunteers, it is amazing to me. They keep saying, oh, I just, that song stuck with me all week, or I was thinking about that story that you told, or, or they're saying that I have learned so much about the Bible by being in children's ministry. That's a little plug. You can grow if you volunteer in kids' ministry. So we got a lot that we're aiming towards in what we're doing. And We want to create environments when we're there. We want to create environments where there's space for God to move and speak. And we recognize that there are certain tools that God uses in the life 
of his followers to change our hearts. And so these are the kind of things that we try and bring before our kids regularly. These tools that, that God uses. And they're nothing new. They, won't, they shouldn't be too surprising to you. But these are the things that we use. So first of all, we make a really big deal of this. Where do we go when we want to know about who God is and what he's like? We go to the Bible. Where do we go when we want answers about what's going on in our world? We go to the Bible. Where do we go when we need comfort or strength or courage or hope? We go to the Bible. Where do we go when we need to find out what's true? We go to the Bible. If there's ever a time that our kids need a standard of truth, it's now. And that's why we teach our kids from the Bible. We teach our kids the deep truths from the Bible, not just weak truths. We want them to have deep truths that they can grow into, not just light explanations that will leave them without hope to hold on to in the future. And so we let them hear the Bible. We let them see us read from the Bible. And that's why I'm pulling out my scripture instead of having it from there. Because when we read from a page, the kids don't know, where did we really get that from? And when we read from our smartphones, they have no idea if we're looking at the Bible, or if we're looking at a game or at Facebook. And we want them to know that this is where we are getting our truth from. So parents, let me challenge you. If you use a Bible app, that is great. They are very helpful. But let your kids see you open the Bible and engage in the Bible. All right. And Yeah, I'll keep going there. I have a story, but I'm going to skip that. (laughs) The next thing is prayer. We talk to our kids about how prayer is talking to God and listening to God. We want them to know it doesn't have to be fancy words. It doesn't have to be long. It's about building your relationship with God. And we tell them prayer is how God's power is released in your life. Now, who wants God's power? Okay, now all of the kids would stuck their hand up. All right. We want God's power in our lives. And so we teach our kids about prayer, but we also give them opportunities to experience it. And so we might have kids going around a circle and saying a one-sentence prayer. Sometimes we have the, God, I'm thankful for, and then the kids just say what they're thankful for. And you know what the number one thing that kids are thankful for? Their mom. Isn't that awesome? Yes. They love their moms. And, and sometimes we use hands-on prayer activities. The kids sometimes will write their prayers and stick them on the wall. Last week, I had a really cool thing happen. Um, pretty much every time I go to open up one of our days in the elementary class, I say, is there anyone here who wants to come and open us in prayer and just welcome God to be here with us? And Over the years, I could probably count on one hand the time that anyone has ever taken me up on that. It doesn't usually happen. Last week, we had one little boy stick up his hand. He's like, yeah, I would love to do that. So he comes up, and he prays. 
And then another little boy sticks up his hand. Oh, I want to do that too. And so he comes up and he prays. And then another, and then another, and another. And we had about eight kids come up to pray and welcome the presence of God into our morning. Woo! I know. Pretty cool. We also teach our kids about listening to God and listening prayer. And a couple of months ago in, in September, I was teaching the kids about in preschool about the faithfulness of God and how he keeps his promises. And our listening prayer question that we asked God that day was, God, what promise do you want me to remember this week? And so we close our eyes, so we're not bugging anyone else, and we bow our heads, and everyone's quiet for 45 seconds. That's pretty good for four and five-year-olds. And then we clap our hands, and then it's time to share. And one of the little boys shared that he said, God said that he wants me to remember he's always with me, and I don't have to be afraid when I go to bed tonight. Mm. God is so personal, so personal. We bring our kids into places of worship this morning. That worship was powerful, and worship can be just as powerful in our kids' life. Now, I know you guys are thinking, kids' worship, isn't it just a bunch of silly songs? Well, those silly songs teach truth. When that silly song gets stuck in your head, you're rehearsing truth over and over and over again. My God is so big, so strong, and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. Isn't that what we want our kids to know? Yes. Yes. Those kids worship. The other thing about it is that it is also declarations. They are making declarations about who they are and about who they're choosing to let God be in their life. And there is nothing more powerful than a room full of kids shout singing, I'm going to see a victory. I'm going to see a victory. Because the battle belongs to you, Lord. Oh, I almost lose it when they're doing that. They are worshipers. And it makes a huge difference in their lives when they have those things. Just like I'm sure you guys are moved and shaped by the worship here, our kids are in our worship as well. The next thing that we bring to our kids regularly is that we offer them a chance to respond to salvation. Salvation is the greatest heart change that can happen. It is the most important thing that can change our hearts. And we understand, sorry, we understand the importance of salvation. And so we regularly speak that gospel message to our kids and give them opportunities to respond to it. Here's the thing we need to consider, and maybe this is something that will be new in your mind. Kids' ministry is where there is the highest concentration of unsaved people in our congregation. Churched kids do not equal saved kids. Are you looking to add names to that prayer evangelism list? The good thing is kids are more likely to embrace Christ than adults. 63% of Christians accept Christ between the ages of 4 and 14, and further studies show that 80 to 85% of people come to Christ by the age of 18. 
From studies like this emerged the concept of what we call the 414 window. It's the greatest window of opportunity to impact a child for Christ between the ages of 4 and 14. This is a window of opportunity for the church where the harvest is plentiful. That makes me think of what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 16.9 where he said, there is a wide open door for a great work here. Church, there's a wide open door right over there. Right over there for a great work. Now, I've had people say to me, but do kids really understand? Does it really mean anything? Who? Yes. Yes. Do they understand everything? No. I guarantee you, when I came to Christ as a four-year-old, I didn't understand everything about sin and God and reconciliation and all those things, but I knew that God was with me then, and since then, I have had 41 years of walking with God and discovering him new every day. The well of God's knowledge is deep. And why would we be holding our kids back from a treasure that they can draw from their entire life? We will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation so that they can put their hope anew on God. Now, the other thing that we bring to our kids We want to see them saved. We want to see them come into the kingdom. But we also want to see them in a real deep personal relationship with God. I talked to the kids about how it's not just about getting there. It's kind of like if you just go to Disneyland and you get inside the gates of Disneyland and you stand in in front of those gates and you're like, woohoo, I made it into the kingdom. And you stand there all day and you just celebrate that you're there. But there's so much more to discover. And so we need to go into the kingdom. We need to go in and move into our relationship and everything that God has for us. We want them to move into that place. And so we talk with them about how our hearts are changed when we're growing in our relationship with Christ. And so we help them do what we call moving the gears of faith. Some of you may have seen in our stuff is that we have these gears. And on them we say, know God, love God, and serve God. You see, we want the things that we teach our kid, that head knowledge, all the stories that we tell them and all of that, we want that head knowledge to go down into their heart, and it's going to start stirring things up. And they're going to know and be convinced about who God is in their heart, and they're going to start, things are going to start stirring, and that's going to start them moving, and soon that knowledge of God is going to bring them into a place of loving God. And then as they love God and as they move into this relationship, as they discover and they explore, then that will move the next gear. Do we have our gears up there? Can I have those gears up there? As we move from knowing God to loving God and we move in what a relationship with God is, that love starts to spill out of us and we begin to serve God. We tell other people. We become part of groups in our church and all of those things. We're serving God out of a response of our heart. And so 
as these gears, as one of them begins to move, it's automatically going to start the next going and the next going and the next going. This is the kid men version of our discipleship pathway. Knowing, loving, and serving God. Our prayer is that our kids, as they move into these things, that they would become captivated by a powerful, big God. We want them to have their own stories of what God did in their life. Their own, look what God did for me. And now, the other thing that God uses that we want to bring to our children is the people of God. How many of you have had some adult in your life growing up, maybe a teacher, a coach, a neighbor, or a grandparent, and that person made you feel wanted? They were the person who believed in you and encouraged you and made you feel safe. Can you still feel the impact that they've had on your life? Can you still feel some of that influence? Mm Mm-hmm. So here it is, church. The next generation needs us to show up for them. Our kids, our teens, our young adults, they need godly adults who will show up in their lives regularly, who will get to know them and give them a sense of belonging. They need adults who will speak the words of truth, identity, and life to them. They need people like Paul. In his letter to Thessalonians, he said this. He said, we loved you so much that we shared with you not only God's good news, but our own lives as well. We need to share our lives. In the ESV, it says, share our own selves with our kids. We need to share it. They need us to give them our time and our energy. Now, another way to look at it is this. Studies show that meaningful relationships with an adult, other than a parent, is one of the top indicators of kids raised in the church staying in church. I'm sure many of you have heard statistics about kids leaving the church when they grow up. Studies done in just 2019 and 2020 show that 60% of churched kids are leaving the faith when they grow up. Predictions based on trends say that means that 42 million churched kids could leave the North American church by 2050. 42 million. To put that in perspective, that's the population of the 30 largest cities in the United States all combined. Or to bring it closer to home, that means that only six of my 20 preschoolers will still be following the Lord. I'm not okay with that. And now I know that here in this room there are some people who are walking in heartache because their children have chosen to walk away from their faith. And I want to say to you that our hearts grieve with you. And we stand with you in prayer and faith that God is still at work in the lives of those kids. But this is why, church, we need more champions for our kids, both inside and outside our church programs. That 414 window is not only the time when a child is most likely to embrace the gospel, it's also when they form an emotional impression of the church and of God. 
And that might influence whether they choose to stay or whether they might come back one day. Author Steve Chang says that one of the most important determinants of a returning churchgoer will be the quality of the deposit the church made in their formative years. What kind of deposit are we leaving Hillcrest? Now I know this sounds overwhelming. Specifically, when I'm talking about the next generation, it's so big. But let's take a breath and think about just one kid or one teenager. What if you started showing up for just one So right now, we're going to do something that I do with my team about once a year. And we're going to ask God for an assignment. We're going to ask him, do you have someone from the next generation that you want me to show up for? Who is that? How can I do that? And he may give you a name or a place where you might be able to go and you might run into someone or you might see something that you can do. He may even prompt some of you to come talk to me or Pastor Chris to get involved in Next Gen Ministries. And I guarantee you, there are some of you out there that should be doing that. And I know that because the Lord has given us so many dreams and ideas of things that we would love to see and love to give and do for this next generation. But we are limited And we need you to come in and partner with us in shaping this next generation. What if more people caught this vision and joined us? And if each one of those people really showed up in the life of just one child, what kind of difference would that make? How would that shape our children? I sure would love to find out. So right now, I just want to invite you guys to close your eyes. We're going to have listening prayer, just like we do with our kids. And we're just going to say, Lord, we want to be responsive to what you are saying to us today. God, how can I be part of shaping this next generation? God, what is my assignment? Who is my assignment? Now, for those of you who this might have been a new practice for, if you had an idea, some name pop into your head, we just ask God a question. That might have been the answer. Don't second guess that. But take that with you. Take that home with you and keep praying, asking him. You can ask him for, well, how do I do that, God? Can you give me strategies? I'm I'm not sure what I'm going to do. Maybe you need to say, yeah, well, you gave me that name, but I don't see them very often. So pray for opportunity to run into them. We all are a part of shaping the next generation. Whether you're in there 
or not. I sure hope many of you will come and join me. But whether you're there or not, church, we are shaping the children of our future, and we need to shape them in the image and likeness of Christ. Let's pray. God, you are great. You are faithful. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to be faithful in telling the next generation. Lord, we don't want to hide your truths. God, help us to be generous in sharing our lives. Lord, there is a great open door, a great opportunity a great harvest. Lord, we ask for a great harvest of kids coming to know you. God, coming into your kingdom and then knowing, loving, and serving you. God, would you change the hearts of our children and change our hearts in the ways that need to happen for that to happen. Show us the roles you want us to do. Lord, you are great. You have done great things, and we anticipate the amazing things that you are yet to do. Amen. Amen.